Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. But as we are in the four weeks of Christmas, um, what the four weeks of Christmas would be known as, you may have heard it, you may have not, or maybe you don't know the depth of it, but it's known as the season of Advent, of this anticipation, of this awaiting the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of uh, the Christmas story, the fruition of it. And in the season of Advent, Advent, there's challenges and there are scripture, there's ways to prepare yourself for the coming of Jesus. And really how I would encapsulate Advent, Advent is, is it's a memorializing of Jesus's first coming and it's a preparation for Jesus's second coming. So we know that Jesus came, but he's coming again. We did a, a sermon recently uh, on that, of, of looking at what that Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, his attributes, what he looks like, how we prepare. But what I want to preach on today is in the spirit of Advent. But then I want to get into the big idea is, um, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But we either choose God or we choose something other than God. We either choose God or we choose something other than God. Again, you can take some good notes on that. Uh, We'll expand that this morning. But I want to look at Advent is the church worldwide would be looking at these scriptures, one being Isaiah chapter 2, would be the reading, the Christmas story that falls on this week, this fourth Sunday before Christmas. And Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the Lord's future reign. It talks about his future house. And as you look at Isaiah chapter 2, there's beautiful artistic symbolism um, of this mountain. And what does this mountain literally represent? Yes, but also allegorically. And you're going to see him describe this this vision he had of what the, the coming Jesus, what his reign, what his kingdom would look like. And in the reading today, I want to read it and then break it down, and then I want to get into the big idea today of we either choose God or we choose something other than God. Isaiah chapter 2 says this. It says um, that Isaiah had a vision. And in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. It says the most important place on earth. It will be raised above other hills. And people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. Couldn't we use that, Jesus, today? They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. So we see a lot taking place here and we see this beautiful vision of um, the importance of what mountain are you climbing? What mountain is supreme in your life. 
And I want to look at, yes, the literal mountain, but more importantly, the spiritual mountain of our life and making sure that we're climbing the right mountain, we're streaming toward the right mountain this morning. You know, we see here um, and we know that Zion is the highest mountain, Mount Zion, you read of it in the Bible. And when it comes to understanding Mount Zion, that Mount Zion will be the place of right worship, of full worship, of correct worship, that we've broke down in our series, what does the Bible say, what is worship? That we all worship something, that everyone worships something, whether it's the one true God, whether it's pleasure, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's all the things that we experience in life, worship is always happening. It's just where are you funneling, where are you channeling, where are you putting your worship? And as we live and as we go and as we do, the enemy is constantly looking to pull your worship, to get your worship off course, to get it off target, and to put it on things that, quite frankly, don't really matter. Things that are not eternal, things that um, might give you momentary pleasure, but leave you high and dry. And so there's this mountain of worship that the nations are streaming toward. And as you internalize this, and as you make this personal for you, uh, what is the highest mountain in your life? And when we think of these mountains, that this mountain will come in the fulfillment of all time. Um, and the mountain is God's praise, and that praise will be of supreme value. Think about that for a minute, that the praise of God will be what is the highest of value when Jesus comes, when this mountain is established. And this is why we have to understand that there's always competing factors to steal our praise, to steal our worship. And for every person, there's some mountain that you have to fight that is not the mountain of God. And in the days to come, through this series, I want you just to keep this mountain of Isaiah. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 2 and, and keep this mountain of what mountain are you climbing? What mountain is important to you? That we're all climbing a mountain, but it, is it the right mountain? And the thing that I, I probably say this every year around this time, what you don't know can hurt you. Ignorance is not bliss. The enemy wants to keep you ignorant, wants to keep you stupid about what God requires of us of how we're to worship him, that there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And let's not be ignorant about the most valuable thing that we can bring him, that he calls us to, that he, quite frankly, requires of us. And so we see this mountain. I, I like when it gets into the details here, that it will be raised above other hills. So every other mountain in this day will fall, will crumble. It won't stand in the mountain of God and that nations will stream there to worship. When you think about the things that make up an interior life, your passions, your attitude, your soul, your friendships, your what you put your energy to, toward, right? That we have this interior life. But in the world we live in today, it focuses on success on the outside, but not real success on the inside. And when we're in God's house today, what you're focusing on is to build a robust, faithful, loyal, um, interior life that honors God. And when you're in God's presence, that what, that's what energizes your interior life. That's what puts the fruit 
that's what you feed on. That's what really matters. And what happens in here then flows out here. What happens in your heart and head then should come through your hands. So when you see what's taking place here, uh, you see uh, kind of where it talks of that the tribes will come together, that they will stream there. And when there isn't unity and when there isn't peace, then there's not a streaming together. There's a repelling and a going away, kind of like we see today, right? There's not international peace, that this day has not happened where all the nations come together to worship. So we see what the other side of this looks like and the turmoil and the war and the famines and pestilence, all of these things that uh, exist in past and present and still in the future to come. And so what we have to see and what we have to understand as we make this personal, as we uh, put this to the interior of our life, is we have to understand when things aren't streaming in the right direction, they're warring against us. We sang part of the song this morning that he's come to fight our war. Everybody has a war you're fighting on the inside. There's a war for your peace. There's a war for your joy. There's a war for what you're putting your faith in, what you're worshiping. And if you haven't come to the knowledge and you haven't come to the revelation that you're in a war, you will be defeated. You will fail. Even if you're not conscious that you're conscious to that you're fighting a war and the war is for the heart the war is for your confession the war is for you not to be faithful to the faith and so when you rightly order your life toward the right mountain the tribes of your life your friendships your interior life what you put your energy toward the passions that you have all of god on your life when all of those are ordered correctly and streaming toward the right mountain what is the byproduct of that is peace, is joy, is purpose, is ultimate fulfillment. But we live in a world that's so busy, so hectic, and so crazy that there's never a slowing down of to focus on what's happening here. It's just keep creating and keep pushing and keep going out here to never have to stand in a dark room and look at yourself or to look what's going on inside. And when we're in God's house together, and when we're in the presence of God, looking at the cross, this is the time and place of your week where you wrestle with what's going on on the inside. You become spiritually awake. When you look at the purpose of Advent, um, I like this one understanding, is it means to look back, look around, and to look forward. That in the season, look back into what God's done. Look around to what God is doing and look forward to what he's going to do in your life. Don't fall asleep. Don't just be lulled asleep. Don't be distracted. Um, I, I heard from a great theologian who uh, talked of the day that was to come that we're in today, is the great sin of our day is not pride, but it's slothfulness. It's not pride, but it's slothfulness. It's just, in the words of Pastor Webb, men and women, we're not taking our positions. We're just... We're falling asleep. We're just getting distracted. We're putting our time, energy, effort into things that are not of kingdom, eternal importance. It's wood, hay, and stubble, not gold, silver, and precious stones, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. So which mountain are you climbing? Which mountain are you streaming toward internally? And are you awake to what God is doing? You know, I like how it says, too, that um, when this day comes, when highest praise is taking place, 
that the swords turn to plowshares and the spears are turned into pruning hooks. Swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. What does this mean? Again, personalize it, internalize it. As you're looking inside at your interior life here, is the things that are causing war within you will turn from a sword to a plowshare, a spear to a pruning hook. In other words, it will turn into tools of cultivation. When you get settled and oriented and you're going up the right mountain, real peace begins to come. The things that cause war and depression and anxiety and constantly fighting to keep you distracted is those tools of war can be turned into tools of cultivation. You can start to create. You can start to be who God's called you to be. You're walking in the right image that he's created you to walk in. And we live in a society and a world today where the spear is out and the sword is out. There's not tools of cultivation taking place. And if you will get your interior life right, then there's something that's consistently cultivating within you. God is working through you. He's putting ideas in you. And he's able to speak to you. Many of us, we couldn't even hear God because we're so busy. And this time of the year is the busiest time of the year, usually for many of us. We're more broke and we're more busy than we ever are the whole year, right? But the good thing is, is um, this time of year doesn't have to end broken busy. It can be helpful. It can be um, it can be healthy. It can be prosperous. It doesn't have to be run with the horses and, and do what everybody else is doing, but the church has given a different rhythm during this time to look back, to look around, and to look forward. And I pray you would take moments to look back, look around, and look forward and to reflect of what God is doing and to make sure, am I climbing the right mountain? And What's inside of me streaming in the right direction, or is it chaotic and crazy and moving in the wrong direction? And that that which was warring against me would be turned into tools of cultivation. You know, there's another scripture that's read today on the first week of Advent, and it comes from Romans 13, the Apostle Paul. He says this about the time and about the hour. He says uh, that it's all the more urgent for you know how late it is. You know what time it is. Time is running out. Wake up. Look at somebody say, wake up. You got to wake up. So, tell someone physically to wake up. Someone's sleeping in here today. I know my voice sounds like a lullaby. This is how I talk to my children and put them to sleep, okay? So he says, you got to wake up. Why? For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And this is true of today. You got to know the time. You've got to be awake. Uh, Advent is to be watchful, to be vigil, to be vigilant, that we're watching, we're waiting, we're anticipating, we are expecting, that we're not going to miss it because of slothfulness, we're not going to miss it because of ignorance, but we're going to be attentive and tuned in and ready for what Jesus is doing. See, we know this from cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament, sleep is never a good thing spiritually. It's never good to sleep spiritually. And there's many of us, we could probably pinpoint if we've been with serving God for a while or even for a short amount of time, there's, there's moments it's like we're on spiritual Red Bull, but then the high of serving Jesus or the high of that thing or that service or that conference wears off, and then it's just business as usual. It's just, I don't really expect anything from God. I'm not listening for God. I'm not spending time with God. 
And the thing I've learned, I've had my spiritual Red Bull seasons, I've had my depleted seasons, but I wanna be consistent, I wanna be moving and streaming toward the right mountain. Might not be all these high, I don't want highs and lows everywhere in my walk with God. It'll wear you out. And many of us, we live like this. We run to God when we need him. We run to God on Christmas and Easter. We run to God when it makes sense, when it's convenient, versus being consistent, being faithful, and consistently moving toward the right mountain and not allowing other mountains to rival the one true mountain that requires real, true worship. So Paul again says, you gotta be attentive. You gotta be watchful. Get your life ordered. Know what the highest mountain is in your life and how to get there and how to walk there. You gotta stay awake. You gotta stop making excuses and get to Mount Zion. I want us to look at this too, is, um, you know, the, through the last series, we compared and contrasted different Bible stories and Bible characters and looked at their life, one being recently Zacchaeus and then the rich young ruler. We saw Zacchaeus was the bad guy who went to Jesus and stayed with Jesus. We saw the rich young ruler who went to Jesus but walked away from Jesus. Zacchaeus, older in life, missed, made very poor decisions, ruined a lot of people's lives, was in need of grace, found grace, gave back what he owed times for. God changed his heart. Rich young ruler, the good guy, we called him the church kid, went to Jesus. Jesus required something of him, sell all you have, give to the poor. It says he walked away sad. Didn't follow Jesus. And I want to look at if we're, again, the big idea, if we're not awake to what God is doing, if we're not moving toward the right mountain, as harsh as this may sound, but it's truth, is if you don't choose God, then your life will end in a tragedy. Your life will end in a tragedy if you don't follow God, if you don't follow his ways, if you don't say yes to the person of Jesus, his grace and his mercy. That we live in a window, a season, an hour where his mercy is freely given, it's freely received. But what are you choosing? Are you choosing God? Or are you choosing something other than God? Because the stark reality is, and just let this sink in, is that he gives us what we choose. Think about this. God gives us what we choose. Now, grace is a gift freely given. It's waiting to be chosen, though. If you don't choose it, it's not yours. You've got to choose it, and he gives us what we choose on the good side and on the bad side. And our heart, our goal, your heart, your goal, should be to choose grace over and over and over again. That when we fall down, we get back up. We run to the throne of grace. When we're messed up, when we're backsliding, and we get convicted, we turn, not out of fear, shame, guilt, condemnation, but we run because he's there ready to meet us, restore us, save us, heal us, deliver us. But the, the determining factor is it has to be chosen. And God gives us what we choose. And I think so many people get mad at God off decisions they've made, yet God gets the blame. And then their theology crashes or they deconstruct or they run from God when God's saying, I'm a good God, I gave you what you chose. If you would have chose me, I'm still here. And even if you turn back to me, I'm still here as well. God gives us what we choose, and quite frankly, we either choose God or we choose something other than God. This could even be what sin is. Yes, it's missing the mark, 
Yes, it's falling short. We all fall short of God's glory. But when we choose something other than God, sin, we're, not, we're choosing to say, I don't trust you in this moment. I don't trust your plan, your best, your will, your purpose. So I'm choosing something other than God. And anything that is other than God is sin. You know, there's a story in the Bible. There's this character. Um, maybe you, you've read through him or you've blown past him. There's minor characters you can miss but have a big story. And he's seen uh, specifically by Paul in 2 Timothy 2.4. We'll put that up in a minute. Uh, I want you to see really how his life ended in a tragedy. But his good, his, his beginning and his middle were good. He's mentioned in uh, uh, Philemon. He's mentioned in um, Colossians alongside of Luke and Paul as a co-laborer of the gospel. So he worked and walked with Paul, co-laboring, co-missioning. And his name is uh, Damas. His name is Damas. And he's, if you go to 2 Timothy 2.4, you'll see that um, this is some of Paul's last words. So he's It's actually 1 Timothy 2.4. Uh, this is a great scripture, though, as well. But 1 uh, Timothy 2.4, or excuse me, it's actually 2 Timothy 2, 9 through 10. I had a baby with me when I was preparing this sermon. I'm going to use that as my one excuse, okay? 2 Timothy, grace, there you go. 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, 9 through 10. Okay, we'll find it. Um, but it says this, it says, Damas had deserted me because he loved the things of his life and he has gone to Thessalonica. Another translation says that he became enamored with the things of the world. So he walked with Paul in the beginning, walked with Paul in the middle, but got fed up, got tired. And it says how Paul encapsulates this relationship is he deserted me because he loved the things of this life too much to continue following Jesus, to continually working with Paul. You know, one of the big ideas of choosing God or choosing something other than God is it's usually very small, petty things that can lead us to tragedy. If you didn't know this, the Bible starts off with a great tragedy. You go to Genesis 1, chapter 2, it talks about creation, how we were created, made in the image and likeness of God. Adam and Eve walked in the of the day. They were close to God. They talked with God. They walked with God. They created. They cultivated. They took dominion. They did what God told them to do. But where did the tragedy come in? Genesis chapter 3. What was the tragedy? It was the piece of fruit. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a tragedy, you have to understand, uh, is seen in all different types of places. And when there is a tragedy, rather the mark of a tragedy, I would define it like this, is it doesn't have to end that way, or it could have ended, uh, it could have ended something else. It could have ended differently. It doesn't have to end that way, or it could have ended differently. We know if Adam and Eve wouldn't have taken the fruit, we wouldn't be dealing with original sin, ancestral sin, all the things that were inherited and passed down from our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
So tragedy is seen when Eve takes the fruit. And if I put myself in that position, if they could have avoided this tragedy when the serpent came, if they would have called out to God, again, they were close to God, they walked with God. How many of you know God would have came and, and helped them through their temptation? I would say yes, but God was not called upon. You actually study this out, and tradition will actually teach us that Adam was in the corner hiding off, watching the serpent tempt Eve. Adam was not taking his position. He was watching the woman be deceived. Adam could have spoke up, took his position, and done something about the fruit. They could have ended differently. But we know how the story ends. They take the fruit, sin enters the world, they go and hide in shame. God says, where are you? Relationship is broken. Sin enters the world, everything changes. It's a tragedy. The Bible starts off with a tragedy. And what I want you to see today is tragedy is not marked by pain, loss, and grief. We all are gonna deal with pain, loss, and grief. But it doesn't have to be a tragedy. And the way it doesn't have to be a tragedy is the choice that you make. We're all given a choice. God gives us what we choose. Choose not to allow your life to be a tragedy or the things that happen to you to be a tragedy. If there can be a different outcome, a different ending, choose that. Choose to keep God first. Choose, again, to go the right mountain, to be awake, to be alert. And don't allow, at the end of your life, ultimately to become a tragedy. This is why we gather together. This is why truth is preached. Because if we're not careful... If we are deceived by every wind of doctrine, if we're got drawn astray, you can even be lulled asleep because you're slothful. Your life is slowly heading towards shipwreck and you don't even realize it. I would say most people don't realize their life is heading toward tragedy because if they did, if their life was heading off the cliff, they would wake up and do something about it, but they don't know. That's why we have the church. That's why we have the word of God because we gotta wake people up we got to say, you got to wake up. This is what sin is. This is God's plan for your life. You're heading toward damnation. You're heading toward tragedy if you don't awake and choose Jesus and choose salvation, choose his mercy, choose his grace. And as I was just praying and, and preparing through this, I felt this deep in my spirit, is don't allow your life to be a tragedy. And as your pastor, I'm gonna fight for you that your life does not end in tragedy, your family does not end in tragedy. But that is, if you choose him, if you keep him first, if you walk with him, you can have assurance that you're gonna be given a way out. You're gonna be given truth. You're gonna be given wisdom so that tragedy doesn't have to be your final destination. I think of other characters in the Bible. Damas was one of them. What about Jacob and Esau? sold the birthright for his inheritance. It literally says in one translation, some red soup. Sold it for something, a red soup, his birthright. Imagine you selling, imagine you won the Powerball ticket. What was it? $1.4 billion. And you were thirsty, you were hungry, and you traded $1.4 billion for a couple. It just doesn't make sense. But this is a picture of what we do every time when we choose something other than God. We choose the cup of soup for an inheritance of joy, an inheritance of peace, an inheritance of love, of mercy, and of grace. God loves us so much. And here's what you need to know about choosing God is he makes himself choosable. He makes himself approachable. He makes himself relatable. 
He's not some angry God in the distance waiting for you to, to mess up. He's coming after you. He loves you. He is pursuing you. He wants to be chosen. He wants your friendship. He wants your heart. He wants to be Lord of your life. And so when we understand God is choosable, is approachable, we want to choose him. But the enemy knows how good he is, so he's got to pervert God. He's got to pervert his ways. He's got to drown God out of our culture, out of our government, and make him into something who he's not. You also have uh, probably one of the greatest tragedies, especially in the passion of Jesus. You have Judas. And we immediately, when we look at Judas, we think he's the bad guy right off the bat. But scripture really just shows us the end of his life, his last moments. What we do know about Judas, though, is he was the treasurer for Jesus's ministry. He handled the money. He handled the, um, probably a lot of the affairs of the ministry. I would say in Judas's position, he had to be very good at numbers. He was probably kind of a no-nonsense kind of person. And um, not only is that what he did, but imagine he was one of the apostles at the time. He followed Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw the healing. He had a front row seat to sinners being saved, mercy being given, grace being given. Could you imagine being able to be Judas in that moment, seeing firsthand the work of Jesus and seeing as people would give into the ministry that it would be allotted correctly? Maybe he was detail-oriented to where if Judas wasn't in that place, the disciples and Jesus would be kind of careless, sleeping in tents. But maybe Jesus paid attention to detail and they got to stay in a hotel when they went into that part of the city. They, you know, maybe he was good at his job. We, we don't know, speculating. But what we judge him on is the last decision of his life, which we know he betrayed Jesus. But the tragedy here, again, we have to understand tragedy. The tragedy was not the betrayal because after the betrayal, there was still time left. Judas could have repented. Who else betrayed Jesus? Peter. Peter denied Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. But what was the difference in Peter? Peter repented and was restored. Judas didn't repent, therefore wasn't restored. Judas was actually tormented, and the Bible says he put a noose around his neck and he hung himself because he was so tormented. Tragedy. You see, we live in a world, there is oppression that comes against the body of Christ that wants your life to end in tragedy. And it does not happen all at once. It's the choices we make every day. Are we gonna choose grace or are we gonna choose the flesh? Are we gonna choose to walk in the spirit or are we gonna choose to walk in what we want? Because there's this, there's this idea that says, I know what God wants from me, but I'm still going to willfully choose to do what I want. Maybe you've been there before. Let's be honest. I know what God wants me to do, but I'm still going to choose to do what I want. That is the mark, and that is the pathway to tragedy. That's the wrong mountain. That's not being awake to what God has and what his best is. You know, how do we avoid tragedy? 1 Corinthians 3, um, Paul talks about this judgment that we're all building a life, we're all building a house, and he uses the analogy of a house. He says, we're all building a house, but what kind of products are you putting into the house? 
How are you building your house? There's a right and a wrong way to build a house. The right and wrong, right, wrong way to build a foundation, to build a roof. You look at all the interior, exterior of a home. Paul gives these analogies. And he says, there's going to come a day when that house is judged to how it's built. Essentially, the work of us. How have we built our lives? And when we stand before Jesus, the work of us is revealed. And the work of us will either show forth wood, hay, and stubble, or it'll show forth gold, silver, and precious stones, and we'll be judged accordingly. And it says some will come through as though they're escaping through fire. But my heart for you is that the end of your life be the best part of your life. And it's not a tragedy, but it's a homecoming. It is a welcoming. You know, we just gave birth, and I've been so thankful and so blessed to experience the birth of, of our three babies. I'm just there for support. Bree's doing all the work. Um, but there's always something miraculous that takes place. And what always gets me is when you're in triage and you're preparing and awaiting the arrival of your baby is, you know, you're still touching the belly and you're feeling the pushing and the kicking and, you know, they haven't broke forth into our world. And the sign of a healthy baby when they break in, when they're birthed, they come through the birth canal is they start crying, right? They scream and cry. And when they're in the womb, they're content, they're warm, they're fed, they're nourished. But then when they break through, they're uncomfortable. It's an unknown environment. They're crying, they're screaming. They wanna be warm, they wanna be close, they wanna go back into the womb. And the womb is really a picture, and, and the church fathers will teach us this, is of what life will look like at the end. Of many of us are like that baby breaking in. We don't know what's on the other side of eternity and we're fearful of it. We don't look for it. We're more concerned with now than then. And if we can just stay here and not have to deal with there, then I can be comfortable and be okay. I've got acclimated to this life. I have my routine. And many of us, there's this hard breaking through when we're supposed to, scripture says what? We're supposed to um, grieve at birth and rejoice at death, but we have it backwards. What, when a baby is born, we say happy birthday. Right, it's, it's their birthday. So you've got to push through and not fear the presence of God. And what I would say when we gather in the church, in his presence, is we pray as, as we reflect. It is though a dress rehearsal. It is a, it is a prejudgment of sorts because it's in the presence of God here and now that your works are revealed. How are you building your life? Are you building it on wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, precious stones? And when the presence of God touches you, it's not just to make you feel good, but it's, it's to show you conviction. Oh, that's got to go. Oh, that's not holy. Oh, that's not a good habit. Oh, that secret sin, time to deal with that. When the presence of God touches you, it is a healthy judgment, a discipling to say, that's not my best. That's going to hurt you. That is a setup for a tragedy, not set up for blessing in my best. And when you're in the presence of God, see, people who have never been in the presence of God, it's going to be very shocking to when you leave your body, your body goes to rest, and then you're in the presence of God for the rest of your life if you've chose Jesus. So let's get comfortable practicing the presence of God now to where we're not shocked by it when we leave our bodies and get there and be in heaven, be with him, be with our heavenly Father. The book of Micah even talks about this, that when the day of the Lord comes, it burns up all iniquity. 
let your iniquity burn, be burned up now in his presence, not in the final judgment of when Jesus comes. Let's choose him today, experience his healing, and enjoy his presence and watch it change our family, change your life. Let's be thankful for it. And, and honestly, there's this, uh, you can miss it if you, if you read it again in Jesus' passion. And I wanna close with this. Corey, if you help me close. Luke 22, 31 through 32. I think we have this right. What you'll see is there's a prayer of Jesus to Peter. Jesus prays this for Peter, knowing what he's about to face, knowing the trial, knowing the temptation. And wouldn't you love Jesus to pray this for you? I believe he is as he sits at the right hand of the Father. This is his prayer as it is for Peter as it is for you. And I believe it was his prayer for Judas. He didn't want Judas to end in a tragedy. But Judas made his choice and we get what we choose. Peter made his choice. He got what he chose. And again, sometimes we wrestle with that, that we want God to supersede our free will when it benefits us. But when it doesn't benefit us, we say, get away, because we want to do what we want to do. But we get what we choose. This is what Jesus' prayer was. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like we. Look at Jesus, what he prayed. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Hear this, get in your spirit, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And I love this. It says that your faith wouldn't fail. We live in a culture, in a world where faith fails way too easy. Something doesn't go your way, you're out. Uh, you're offended. Someone speaks poorly of you. You don't trust God anymore. You don't get your blessing in 23 seconds, you're out. You don't get that position. You don't get that raise. You don't get that job. You don't get that baby. You don't get that marriage. You don't get that relationship. The list goes on and on. You don't get what you want, or maybe you chose something other than God, therefore you got the consequence. See, God saves us from our sin, but we still have to deal with the consequences. Now, his grace can still permeate in the middle of the consequence, but what I'm trying to get in your spirit today Jesus is praying and wants you to have a faith that perseveres. Show up when it's inconvenient. Be there when you're tired. Don't throw in the towel when everyone else around you is. Persevere and know that through the words of Jesus, there is a grace of perseverance for your life. That you've got to persevere to be saved. You've got to work out your salvation, that we all want to die in a state of grace. We don't want our confession to be one way, but our lives to be another. Let's get it aligned. Let's let it stream toward the right mountain. Let's not be flaky in our faith. But that our faith wouldn't fail. You know, the way we keep our faith from failing is when we fall in short, we repent. And when we repent, we get refreshed and we get renewed. And I pray today that wherever you're failing, wherever you're falling short, even in the place that I believe the Holy Spirit is touching right now, you've chosen something other than me. And my presence wants to come and heal that and restore you in that. You would repent. You would choose me today. You can experience 
grace. I can give you wisdom to get through the consequence. I can be your help, hope, and healing in your time of need. Because when we get to the end of our lives, we're all going to have pain. We're all going to have problems. We're all going to go through stuff. But don't let it lead you to a tragedy. Let it lead you to eternity with him. Your life doesn't have to end broken, beat up. Your family doesn't have to be broken and beat up. Many of us are broken and beat up. I have parts of me that is broken and beat up. But if I don't choose him and bring it to him, then there's no hope of healing. So stop trying to white knuckle it. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Humble yourself. Wake up to his grace and to his mercy and say yes to him today. Choose him today. This is the beauty of his grace. It is endless supply that you can say yes to today and things in your life can begin to change. In a moment, something can change. I believe every time you're in church and you say yes to Jesus, something is being strengthened or something is changing. So don't ever underestimate the, moment, the opportunity or the moment that we have to say yes to him. We don't say just yes to him once when at our initial salvation, but look what Paul said again in Romans 13, 11, is you've got to wake up because time is drawing near that he is closer even to when you first said yes to him at the beginning of your salvation. I pray that you're closer to him than you were when you first experienced him. And if you're not, that's okay. But let's wake up. Let's get our life in order. Let's begin putting feet to what we're feeling and thinking. Let's clothe ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit and allow his righteousness to become complete in us and not just be something we say, believe, or do, but it's who we are. It's our lifestyle that we have his heart. We spend time with him and that his presence burn up iniquity in our life. This is how good he is. He doesn't leave us alone, doesn't leave us. He takes those weapons, those spears and those swords, and what does he do? He turns them into tools of cultivation. I believe he can even take the hardest parts of your life, the abuse, the pain, when something was done to you against your will, when you thought God was far from you in a moment of your life, God has a way of bringing everything together when you consistently choose to say yes to him. Even when you're not consistent with him, he still has a way of bringing you to this place and bringing you to this point. And if we can take this Christmas season, these next four weeks, and say, which mountains are rivaling the mountain of right praise? What's trying to steal my affection? And let's begin to climb the right mountain. I believe as you begin to climb the right mountain, you're gonna see him, you're gonna know him, you're gonna draw closer to him. And his presence that burns away iniquity just doesn't burn it away, but it brings healing to the deepest part of your soul. It heals your identity. It heals the places that have been taken from you through time, through hardship, your past. Again, you gotta look back. Maybe there's places you need to go back to and repent of. You gotta look around what are things in your life that you know you're tolerating, you're compromising their little pets? Give them up and give them to God. It's not worth it for your life to end in a tragedy. 
I don't want to be known to be a co-laborer with Christ, to be this pastor. But what it, never let it be said of me that I ended my life because I got so enamored with the things of the world. Imagine if your name was recorded in Holy Scripture. That's how you were remembered. We live in a state of grace. We want to die in a state of grace. But you've got to choose that grace. You get what you choose. Choose God, don't choose something other than God. If you'd stand, I want to pray. If you bow your head with me. I want you just to posture your heart and your mind. Your kids are okay. Lunch is going to be hot and ready. But give God three minutes right now. And I want you just to focus on the things that you've been impartial, you've been indifferent to, you've been slothful, you've been asleep to. That you know what God wants you to do, but you've chosen what you've wanted in these places. I want you to repent of that mindset. I want you to repent of that confession. And make a confession of faith today to say, I give you control. I surrender. Take these places of my life. Even that I've chosen something other than God, it's become an idol. Could be a good thing that's been wrongly ordered in my life. And Father, I pray right now that you would give us persevering grace. Just as you prayed for Simon Peter when he needed it, God, that grace restored him. That grace freed him. God, I ask that you give us a faith that will not fail. As times get harder, as it becomes, as there's overt cost associated to following Jesus, choosing his way. God, when we're put to the test, when there's trial in front of us for choosing Jesus, give us a faith that will not fail. Let us make the right choice from this day forward. We're gonna make wrong choices. We're human, we're imperfect. But God, don't allow our conscience to be seared. The places where we've chosen the wrong thing over and over again due to ignorance, due to indifference. I don't care anymore. I'll make do. God, we want to give you not just half of our life. We want to give you all of our life. Holy Spirit, do this work in us. And God, in the places that we've made wrong choices, you're a God who forgives. You're a God who redeems. Maybe we've been done wrong or we've done wrong to somebody else. Father, we ask for forgiveness. Release forgiveness into your church today. God, we want to honor you with every part of our life. Let us not be known for being enamored with the world. Let us repent. Let us come to you and experience the refreshing and renewal of your spirit. We need you. This is an hour 
that the church can't shut up, it can't stay silent, has to love its enemies, it has to proclaim truth, it has to do what you've commanded us to do, believe what you've commanded us to believe. In a world that's divided, it needs a united church. Give us a faith that won't fail today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen, well, you can be seated. I pray you continue to pray that when times get tough and you don't know the choice you're to make. I believe in your darkest hour, if you will go to him, if you'll pray, you'll trust him. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.